Well, good evening, everyone. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And as Pastor Rich said, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount in our evening services. And today we've reached verse 17. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading verses 17 to 20. Listen, this is God's Word. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, this evening I want to talk to you about standards. We find in life that standards can vary from one person to another. Children, when you tidy your room, your standard of tidiness might be a lot lower than your mom or your dad's standard of tidiness. So when they ask, have you cleaned your room, and you say you have, what happens when they inspect? Do they agree? Or do they find that it's not up to their standard? Or students, you are studying hard for your tests and exams, and you need to meet certain grade levels. But depending where you study, the standards might differ. So in the UK, to get a pass, you need to get at least 40%. In the US, I believe it's much higher. It's 70%. Now, that doesn't mean it's easier in the UK. So standards vary. And in New Testament Israel, the standard of righteousness was set by the Pharisees. If you want to know if you are righteous, if you will get into heaven, well, you would compare yourself to the high standard of the Pharisees. And this they achieved by their meticulous keeping of the law. But Jesus, in our passage, he turns this on its head. To get into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says that your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees. And so I want you to notice Jesus did not abolish the law, but fulfilled the law. So in him you can be righteous and therefore obey God's law. And children, I encourage you to draw a picture of yourself but I want you to draw a picture of the new heart that you have been given by Christ, a heart that enables you to obey God's law. And we'll look at that later in the sermon. So firstly, you, you are to understand that Jesus fulfilled the law. So there must have been some questions among the people about Jesus's relationship with the law. There may have been some who believed that Jesus did not recognize the law. He seemed to be doing things that were contrary to the law. These people misunderstood Jesus to be setting up something radically different than the teachings of the Old Testament. 
And we see this especially in how Jesus kept the Sabbath day. Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. He allowed his disciples to pluck corn on the Sabbath day, things that were against the law. But were they actually against the law? Or was this an interpretation of the law? And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they took the Old Testament and they summarized it in 613 commandments. And then they subdivided these commandments even further. So, for example, not to work on the Sabbath day, the Pharisees, they developed 39 categories of prohibited work on the Sabbath day. And so what they're actually doing is adding to the law. They created this hedge around the law so that if you keep the secondary laws, you will definitely keep the original law. That was their thinking. But these secondary laws became a burden, and they made it impossible to keep the law. So while Jesus was against the tradition that had crept in, he was not against the law. Instead, he was very positive regarding the law. He says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus' very purpose in leaving heaven and coming into this world was to fulfill the law. And he fulfills the law in a number of ways. Hebrews 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So the law is God's revelation. He reveals himself through the law. He reveals himself through the prophets. But ultimately, God revealed himself through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was bringing to completion, to fulfillment, the revelation of God. J.C. Ryle writes, the Old Testament is the gospel in bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. So some of you are maybe planting bulbs, maybe when it warms up a little bit, and you do so in expectation that in the spring, you will see spring flowers. And sometimes you plant bulbs, but not knowing exactly what will come up. It's not clear. Well, the revelation of God was seen most clearly in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the final revelation of God. Rico Tyson, Christian Explorer, says, when we look at Jesus... All the guessing games about God stop. And so the law, it looks forward to the fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ. We also see in the law prophecies of the coming Christ. These prophecies, they prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in the town of Bethlehem, that he would be rejected by man and would suffer, that he would ultimately die on the tree. Hundreds of prophecies and Christ fulfilled each one. But not only does Christ fulfill these prophecies, he also fulfills various patterns found in the Old Testament. And these patterns are known as shadows and types. And John spoke about this the other week in the Sunday school class. And John specifically considered the Sabbath day. And we saw that ultimately pointed to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the Sabbath day in Christ we would know rest. And there are many other shadows and types, like the tabernacle and the temple, with the priests and the sacrifices involved in that. 
Kingship also, especially evident in David, pointed to the one who would rule to all eternity and defeat his enemies. The prophets in their ministry pointed to the one who would come and teach the truth. And Christ, he fulfilled all of these. Jesus fulfilled the law in another way, in that he obeyed the law. He is the one and only who has truly obeyed the law. He was born under the law, meaning he was born to keep the law, and he did keep the law perfectly. He never sinned. He was perfectly righteous. Scrivener writes, notice that Jesus does not say that he is a law keeper. No, he is much more than that. He is the law accomplished, a law fulfiller. He doesn't merely abide by the law. He fills it full. Jesus is doing the very opposite of abolishing the law. He's actually submitting himself to the law in every way, and he hammers out in his flesh a perfect legal obedience. Here is the Lord of Moses coming under the law of Moses and doing it right, filling it full. So Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law. Well, secondly, you are to recognize that the law has not been abolished, but continues to stand. So Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, not to abolish it, and when he said, do not think that I, have, that I have not come to abolish the law, but fulfill it, this phrase, do not think, it's not strong enough in our English translations. It's like when you warn your child who's being very stubborn not to do something, you say, don't even think about it. Well, that's how adamant that Jesus is. Do not even think that he is abolishing the law. However, this misunderstanding that the Jews has had continues to be a misunderstanding. In the second century, there was a heretic known as Marcion who rejected the Old Testament. He believed, or he rejected, he rejected the Old Testament because he rejected the God of the Old Testament. He believed that all material was evil, so why would a good God make a material world? He, so he believed, therefore, that the God of the Old Testament to be evil. And he saw Christ instead to be this great revealer, one who would help us find our true selves. And he removed all Old Testament references from the New Testament. But he was wrong, and he was deemed a heretic. And this mindset of rejecting the law, of rejecting the Old Testament, it continues. And it's very common today. People like Jesus but not the Old Testament. Jesus talks about forgiveness and love, whereas in the Old Testament we read of vengeance and law-keeping. They think as long as they have Jesus, they don't need the law. Well, this is known as antinomianism. Nom meaning law, so simply it's anti-lawism. And with Christ in their life, they think they can live however they want. They think the law has no claim on them now. They see Old Testament narrative as a collection of stories, stories that maybe teach us morality. So be brave like Esther was brave, or continue to do the right thing like Daniel, or stand up to the giants in your life just like David did. They do not see how each of these point us to Jesus Christ. They recognize Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming, but now that he has come, they think it's no longer relevant. 
It's like watching a game of football or soccer when, on the TV when you already know the result. What's the point? Why bother? But doesn't this speak of arrogance? Who are you to determine that the Old Testament no longer applies? Or for you to say that it's no longer relevant? No, the law continues to stand. And Jesus is saying this, and he uses solemn language to do so. He says, assuredly, or truly, none of the law will pass away. He's speaking the truth. Not even a single letter or a part of a letter. That's what's meant by a jot or a tittle. So not even the smallest part of a letter will be removed. It's like the dot on the letter I. Even that will not be removed. Not until everything is fulfilled. This ultimate fulfillment will occur when Christ returns a second time, when heaven and earth has passed away. John Stott writes, when Christ returns, the written words of God's law will be needed no longer, for all things in them will have been fulfilled. Thus, the law is as enduring as the universe. Now, this might lead to some obvious questions about the Old Testament laws. There are laws that are ceremonial in nature, meaning they are about animal sacrifice or they're about ritual cleanliness. Christ has fulfilled these very clearly so that we don't need to do this any longer. But just because Christ has fulfilled them does not mean that they are abolished, that they have no bearing on us today. And we've seen this recently in Rich's sermons on the sacrifices in Leviticus. In understanding these sacrifices, we get a richer understanding of Christ's sacrifice. We are reminded of the seriousness of sin and the consequences of sin. We get a clearer picture of the holiness of God. And so while the ceremonial law is fulfilled in Christ, not to be repeated, it's not to be ignored. For by it, we understand the depths of Christ's sacrifice for us. So, too, another aspect of Old Testament law that's described as the civil law. These were aspects of the law that were applicable to the nation of Israel. That's no longer applicable to the church. The church of God is no longer a nation, but instead a church, a community, represented by every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so these Old Testament laws were to make Israel distinct from the surrounding nations. The principles, though, of those laws are still applicable to the church today so that we stand out from this world, so we are light in the darkness. So while we need to clarify these difficulties, the law is still applicable. And much of the law continues into the New Testament without any change. The moral law summarized by the Ten Commandments it very clearly stands and we will be considering aspects of this in the next few sermons in our studies in the Sermon on the Mount. So the law has not been abolished. It continues to stand. Well, thirdly, your attitude to the law shows your place in the kingdom. So it's no wonder that Jesus says in verse 19, Therefore, if anyone breaks the least of these commandments, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So clearly, obedience to God's law matters to Jesus. Jesus obeyed, and so you too are to obey God's law. The attitude that Jesus had to the Old Testament, that is one that you too are to have. 
You must uphold the Old Testament. Jesus' disciples are to obey the law. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you must not misunderstand that to think you can therefore merit salvation by your obedience to God's law. No, you cannot merit God's salvation. But the law does provide a test of whether you belong to his kingdom or not. Those who belong to God's kingdom, they have this distinguishing mark of obedience to the law. A Christian who breaks God's laws, we read, faces serious repercussions. Jesus says, you are least in the kingdom of heaven. And so the law continues to stand, and you are to continue to obey it. Do not think that since you have been forgiven of your sins, that is no longer an issue. No, it is serious. It is serious for you and for others. For we read that Jesus mentions, mentions, if you teach men to also break the commandment, you are encouraging others to sin. And so that too is repercussions. And the way we teach others to sin is often by our example. And so by us not taking the law seriously, younger, more immature believers will learn from our bad example. And sadly, this view in the church is all too apparent. There is this lack of seriousness to keeping God's law. Instead, the focus is entirely on grace, but it's a cheap grace, a grace that doesn't fully understand the cost involved for our Savior to save us. For if we did understand, it would drive us to live lives that honor and please Him. It would lead to us obeying God's law. Now, not all commandments carry the same weight. Jesus speaks of the least of these commandments. And so some laws are more important than others. Some sins are more heinous than others. But Jesus is saying, you're still to be vigilant. Yes, there are sins that are socially acceptable, even within the Christian community. The repercussions may not be as significant, but to disobey them is still to take God lightly. For all commandments are laws of Christ our King. And so to have a light view of obeying God's law, it will have an impact on your position in heaven. John Stott writes, to disregard a least commandment in the law is to demote oneself into a least subject in the kingdom. And so your goal as citizens of Christ's kingdom is not to be the least. No, you are to be the most loyal. You are to be the most devoted citizen. Now, you Americans are known for your patriotism, for being patriotic. But there is one place I believe is more patriotic than America. And it must be in Northern Ireland. And the mission team will discover this. It's not enough to fly one flag from your house. You have to fly at least five flags from your small, small house. You have to paint the curbstones in front of your house red, white, and blue. You have to have a picture of King William of Orange in your living room. That's just how devoted some people are to their country. Well, that same enthusiasm, that same devotion should be evident for Christ and for his kingdom. There is no law too difficult for you to keep. And we see the reward. Whoever does obey and teaches others, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are faithful in doing 
and teaching the whole moral law. That is what you are to strive for. J.C. Ryle puts it well. He He speaks of the false idea that the Christian is not intended to be as strict and particular about his daily life as the Jew. And this is an immense mistake, he says, but one that is unhappily very common. So far from this being the case, the sanctification of the New Testament saint ought to exceed that of him who has nothing but the Old Testament for his guide. The more light we have, the more we ought to love God. The more clearly we see our own complete and full forgiveness in Christ, the more heartily ought we to work for his glory. We know what it is, we know what it costs to redeem us far better than the Old Testament saints did. We have read what happened in Gethsemane and on Calvary, and they only saw it dimly and indistinctly as a thing yet to come. May we never forget our obligations. The Christian who is content with a low standard of personal holiness has got much to learn. So just consider your own attitude. Are you happily simply getting by, or are you determined to keep God's law? Well, fourthly, you need to have Christ's perfect righteousness to enter the kingdom. So Jesus' audience, they were hoping that Jesus would lower the standards necessary to get into heaven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were making it impossible. They were putting a burden on the people that no one could attain. Even the scribes and the Pharisees, for them to do it, it was a full-time job. And so Jesus, in being critical of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they made the people, made the people think that to get into heaven, that it wasn't by righteousness. What Jesus says in verse 20 then was shocking. Verse 20, for I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't lowering the standards of righteousness. He was increasing the standards. Before it was maybe a 90% pass mark. Now the pass mark was 100%. Ferguson writes, Pharisaic righteousness was skin deep. Christian righteousness is to be real. And so in the next few weeks, we will consider Jesus uh, considering the many aspects of the law. He begins, have you heard, do not murder. Well, I say to you, if someone harbors anger in their hearts, that they have committed murder. And so Jesus, he doesn't simply want outward obedience. He wants heart obedience. That's not surprising. In 1 Samuel 16, we read, for the Lord does not see as man sees, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so the Pharisees, they were only concerned about the outside. And Jesus was very critical of them about this. We can see this in Matthew 23. He, write, or he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So the Pharisees were only concerned about the outward. Jesus was concerned about who we are inside. That's what it means to have a righteousness greater than that of the Pharisees. 
Well, how do we become more righteous than the Pharisees? Well, we need to have a righteousness that affects more than mere outward obedience, but a righteousness that affects our hearts and our minds, even our very motives. They are to be right. They are to be pure. This righteousness was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So God promised that he would write his laws on our hearts. And Ezekiel prophesies how he would do just that. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And so your righteousness can surpass that of the Pharisees when you're born again when you're made new in Christ. Christ gives us his righteousness and he sanctifies us. Stott writes, it's because such a righteousness is evidence of the new birth and none enter the kingdom without being born again. And so we need that inner transformation that's only possible in Christ. For only in Christ do we have his righteousness. And only in Christ then are you able to live righteous lives that are pleasing to God? The Pharisees' righteousness was not real. It was all show. Their hearts were not engaged in keeping God's law. It was only a moralism to gain status in society. They were keeping the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Ferguson writes, our righteousness really must surpass that of the Pharisees. For if we are not more righteous than they are, we are not righteous at all. And so as believers, filled with the Spirit, you can keep God's law. You can be righteous. Yes, with Christ's imputed righteousness, but also through being sanctified by the Spirit. He enables you to live righteously. So you are to see that Jesus did not abolish the law but he fulfilled the law. So in him, you can be righteous and you can obey God's law. So back to standards of righteousness. We see two extremes in this passage, a legalism of the Pharisees that seeks to keep the law, but is only outward. And then antinomianism that rejects the relevance of the law and so does not keep it. Well, neither of these are correct. No, Jesus did fulfill the law. And so in him, you can be righteous and therefore obey God's law. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the whole of your word. And help us not to see your word, particularly the Old Testament, as not relevant to us. Instead, we would have the same attitude as Christ had to the Old Testament. That we would seek to understand it. So we would understand Christ's mission of fulfilling the law all the more clearly. That we would seek to obey the law and to apply it to our lives. And we thank you that you have worked in us and that you have given us new hearts filled with the Holy Spirit so we can obey your law. And so help us even this week 
that we would depend on you and so then live lives of obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your blue sound book to Psalm 119M. Psalm 119M. And what is surprising in this psalm is David's love for the law. Too often we have a duty response to the law. While it is a duty, it should be more than that. We are also to love God's law. And this is Christ's response. And it should also be our response. For the law is good. It helps us to know and understand God better. So let's stand and sing Psalm 100.